Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. She's an author. She's published articles on lawenforcementtoday.com. She's a career 911 dispatcher. She's a widow of a law enforcement officer. And she'll change your perspective about dispatchers. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Idaho, I think this might be our first guest ever from the great state of Idaho. Diana Register is calling us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Diana, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Diana, by the way, and I'll let her tell what she does. She is a 911 dispatcher. She is also a widow of a law enforcement officer. She's an author. She's written a couple of really outstanding articles on lawenforcementtoday.com. Two you should check out. One would be When Death is Imminent, and the other one is the dreaded 911 call. And that article, by the way, is the one that prompted me to reach out to Diana and said, listen, you got to come on the show. It's a powerful read. If you haven't read it yet, check it out. The dreaded 911 call is a title. Thanks for that. Right. Yeah, that was a tough one for sure, but it was actually the aftermath of the phone call that prompted me to write the article because after I had taken a baby not breathing call and unfortunately the baby died, um, some of the members from the fire department came up to check on dispatch and make sure we were okay. And I think that's so important because so many dispatch centers don't have that. they they don't have somebody that will come check on them afterwards, and I think they get forgotten. So it was really cool for them to come up there and see us and check on us and kind of tell us what happened. They happened to give us a hug, and somebody snapped a picture of it, and so it prompted me to write the article about how important that kind of stuff is. Those were always the absolute worst calls for me as a police mm-hmm. officer. I didn't do them with children. The younger, the, yeah. the harder it was. I always struggled with when you had child abuse cases, neglect, it didn't matter what it was. Uh, it could have been a freak accident. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, as you and I both know, there are cases where you have very young children that die. It could be SIDS. Yeah. It could be due to family violence. It, it doesn't, all of them had a tremendously negative impact on me and everybody on the scene. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think like, I think the hardest part about kids probably is that we all relate to it. So you you can go to calls or we can take calls of sick people or people with cancer or people that are struggling with something that we have no idea about. But when it comes down to kids, for the most part, I think we all have them or we're associated with them somehow. And we're kind of immediately taken to that place where what if this was my kid or how would I want somebody treating me in this situation or what am I supposed to say to somebody if when they're going through a hard time like that? Because I can't imagine what somebody would say to me to make it better. Yeah. And um, so I think it's really, really hard when you're going through something like that. I know as a dispatcher, when we get a, a child call um, where there's a child injured or a child not breathing, it definitely makes your heart beat a little bit faster. It makes your blood pressure go up a little bit more. You you are trying to do everything that you need to do in that situation that you're trained for, and it's hard. I mean, it, it really is hard. And so in that case, when we did CPR on the phone and then the baby died, um, it was tough. And I think the other really tough part about it, at least from a dispatch perspective, is that we hang up the phone and you don't really get that breather because the phone's going to ring again Mm -hmm. and then you're going to go do the next thing. And so to have them come up there to our dispatch center and check on us and hug us and make sure that we were okay, it's, it's a huge thing. It may not seem like a big thing, but it's a huge thing. Five minutes out of somebody's day to go up there and tell them, you did a good job. You know, this is what happened. This is what it looks like. That's a big deal. And I hate to say this, but the truth is, as a police officer, when I was working the street, you, know, you had a a relationship with the dispatchers because we, we worked together all the time and they got to know you, you got to know them. They could really tell if you were in trouble by the tone of your voice. There's a lot of things they learned to pick up oh, on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we may never even meet and wouldn't know each other if we stepped over each other in the mall. But often right. when these bad situations came up, I didn't think about our dispatchers. I just thought about me and my coworkers. And I I right. was totally ignorant to the fact that our dispatchers were negatively impacted by these these calls as well. And, and I'll go back a step. When you talked about mm-hmm. taking the phone call and you're trying to walk them through CPR and then also dispatch the information, it's a pretty powerless feeling, I'd imagine, because you're, you're doing it on the phone. You can't be there. When we would get dispatch mm-hmm. a call, automatically your heart rate would go up like i gotta get there i gotta go do something mm-hmm. i gotta go help this person and you start formulating your mind what do i gotta do when i get there what's the procedures how do you do what do you do first uh by the way let's get there let's not have an accident let's not hit somebody so right. it's a change physiologically from your entire being so it must be the same for you well it absolutely is the same and we, you know, I think every center probably has protocols on how they are going to help somebody over the phone, whether that's an EMD protocol that we use um, to do medical instructions or however the agency does it. And I know that the minute you take a call like that and you're trying to gather the information, because it would be great if we could just go straight to CPR, but we need an address. We need to know what's going on. We need to sort of assess the scene for officer safety and all that kind of stuff, which can take hopefully not a lot of time. And then we go straight into CPR and it's, it is helpless to be giving instructions and not be able to reach around somebody and grab them and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what's tough. And I think there's a misnomer that dispatchers don't feel the same way because they don't experience it visually. 
But I can tell you that's absolutely not true because we're trained. Um, I know when I go to train dispatchers that we're training them to paint a picture for officers as they're arriving to a scene. So we're trying to get the best information that we can and give that to the officers so that they can paint a picture in their head of what they're walking into for their safety, for the people that they're going to, for their safety, to get them the best help. Yeah. So we're very visual people, yeah. whether people think that or not. So when something like that happens, we, we're there. We've got that scene in our head. We know what's going on. We're listening and we're hearing things that, that other people are not picking up on. And it's, it's awful sometimes. Well, I've heard even from a lot of first responders that law enforcement officers in particular, they will discount that dispatchers are not in their mind first responders because they don't respond. They'll start dissecting the meanings of words. And Mm -hmm. I have to apologize because there was a time I felt the same (laughs) way. But like I used the word before, and it really applies, the term is ignorant. Not meaning Mm -hmm. stupid, not meaning arrogant or discounting what they do, but I really was not aware of what they encountered, what it was like Mm -hmm. for them. And until recently, maybe you've heard other dispatchers doing this. I've had a few on this Law Enforcement show. I was not aware how difficult it can be for them emotionally. Things like Mm post-traumatic stress, things like having to to walk through an officer-involved shooting where an officer is killed. Mm -hmm. Those things have a permanent effect on you. You know, I I think you're right as far as the play on word about first responders. But the fact of the matter is, is that dispatchers are responding and they are responsive. So we can pick apart the word all we want. Dispatchers are responding to what somebody needs, and then they are sending the next responder to go out there and do whatever it is that you guys do. We are responsive in the same way. We're, we're getting help the best that we can. You, if you take a call and a dispatcher answers it and say it's even so much as a barricaded subject or a suicidal subject or somebody's holding somebody hostage, we're doing everything until somebody gets there. Mm-hmm. So until the police get there and secure the scene, we're securing the scene the best that we can over the phone. Until a crisis negotiator gets out there, we're doing crisis negotiation with somebody until somebody can get out there. There's not a crisis negotiator sitting behind us telling us what to say. And so we take a lot of responsibility for the calls that we take. And then from there, we're taking a lot of responsibility into who we're sending and what we're sending and all of that kind of stuff until an, an incident commander comes in and takes over. We're doing it. Gotcha. And I don't know that people really realize that as, you know, so much as they probably should. I'm but sure they don't. We're going to a short that- break. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with Diana Register, Career Dispatcher. There's, there's so much more information heading your way you don't want to miss. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, 
and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. Are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money? Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677, 24 hours, and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800-956-0677. Get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Return our conversation with Diana Register. Diana is a 911 dispatcher. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, and I have to watch my words when saying, We've talked about this before on the show. When someone is a law enforcement officer, a firefighter, EMT, corrections officer, or dispatcher, they have to be very careful what they say because the First Amendment rights for people that work in that line of work, the the public service emergency responders, for lack of better words, uh, the, the First Amendment right gets diminished a bit. So periodically in my questioning Donnie may say I can't talk about that and I respect that so that's what we're going to do we were talking about the misconception that people have and I was as guilty as anybody about the nomenclature about how 911 dispatchers are referred to I really was not aware and I think most of the people that work in law enforcement that work as firefighters EMTs and regular citizens have no idea the different struggles going on. I didn't know, for example, there's a big difference in how dispatchers are described in hiring processes as clerical workers or as first responders. Mm-hmm. And that, well, it's a big deal. That, that It's a big deal and it's, and it's a problem because when dispatchers are described as clerical workers, and, and let me say this first. We, at, at least at my agency, we have a records department and an administrative department that works really, really hard to make sure that everything is going smoothly with the officers, with their reports, et cetera. But when dispatchers are um, labeled as clerical workers, it takes us out of certain, I don't know if they're perks or certain things Benefits. that we should. Benefits, yes. The certain benefits that maybe we should be entitled to. In my state, there's a big push right now to include us in 
the first responder bill under the PTSD that's going to be included in workers' comp. We're having a really hard time getting the same retirement benefits as police officers. We keep kind of getting shut down over that. But the fact of the matter is, is that dispatchers, they do suffer from PTSD. They do suffer from different kinds of ailments that police officers and firefighters do, even though they're not there on the scene, and they should be included in them. Just because you don't get shot at doesn't mean you're not injured. Right. And, it's an, it's, it's that, an act, that, and that's what they're saying now. They're not calling it PTSD anymore. They're calling it PTSI because it's an injury. And I, so, I, I for one, applaud them for that. And you're, that's the state of Idaho, correct? Yes. I, I often say that if we would stop calling it post-traumatic stress disorder and start calling it post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress injury, we might start right. to reduce the stigma. We might start allowing people to talk about it more, and it's a more accurate way of describing the condition. A disorder, yeah. I, I get into discussions about the American Medical Association, what they describe it as, but for an injury, it, it really fits because it's a brain and it's also the body's physiological responses to repeated exposure to trauma. Mm-hmm. It's like if you, if you get hit in the shoulder 15 times with a baseball bat, you know something's going to be injured. And no one, right. no one is surprised by that. When your brain is constantly bombarded with, with trauma and death and accidents and, and horrors, mm-hmm. why is it we think all of a sudden the brain somehow is not an organ like the heart or the liver or something yeah. else, that it can't be injured? Well, you're right. And, and what we hear on the phone and the stuff that we go through, it's not normal. It's not an everyday job where you're picking up the phone and people are screaming and yelling at you and begging for help or something that's happening. I have a partner, um, Becky, who listened to a call, took a call actually, and listened to somebody shoot somebody else on the phone. And then, you know, she gets responders out there. They go through whatever they're going through. She hangs up the phone and then she just has to take the next call. I have, I have another partner, um, Melissa, who took a call of a lady who was stabbed by her husband and put in the trunk of her car, and Melissa stayed on the phone with that woman until they found her and got in a pursuit and all of these kinds of things. But you listen to the tape, and Melissa's doing everything that she can to assure this woman and tell her help's on the way and all of these things, but, the, but she still died. And Melissa was probably the last voice that that woman heard. Yeah. And then even after that, they brought her children to the station, and Melissa sat with her children until family could come. And then she went back to work. And there's no, you know, at the time, there, I don't believe that there was any kind of debriefing or this is what happened or whatever. The dispatchers at that time were left out of those things. And we're so much better now. I think most agencies are about including dispatchers in their debriefs and things like that. But we're not very good at recognizing the long-term effects of those things. And I'll and be honest with you, I don't think we're very good at long, recognizing the long-term effects of these things on and anybody. Right. Corrections officers, dispatchers, firefighters, EMTs, and police officers. For some reason, mm-hmm. we have, as a society, become accustomed to, we don't blink an eye, we accept the fact that combat veterans will go through this. And we mm-hmm. are saying, let's support them, let's take care of them. And that's the right approach. That's what we should be doing. Yet when it comes to our at-home first responders, there's a reluctance mm-hmm. to do the same thing. And I really don't understand it. I don't, I, honestly, I don't either. But the, the one thing that I... I think, and I'm I'm not real sure about this, but one thing that I see that's kind of 
a common thread is that we don't want to talk about it. So we we end up gravitating towards people that are in law enforcement. So you you know that. You know that cops hang out with cops, dispatchers hang out with dispatchers, that kind of thing, because it's a, there's a comfortability there. And we can talk to each other about it, and we can recap what happened and and find ways to deal with it, but we're not very good at reaching out for help professionally. And, and going to somebody and saying, this is, this is really bothering me. I have tons and tons of calls that are etched into my memory that if with a normal person without the training that does a normal job would be very, very affected by it. And I can sit there and I can think about these calls and I can tell my coworkers or I can tell people who understand and they, they do understand, but I've never reached out and said, you know, maybe I should talk to somebody about how does this affect me long term in my relationships with my kids, with whatever it is? Yeah, I don't know and how it can't not problem. affect you in your relationships because one well, of the sure. first things that I I went through, I learned somehow. I don't I don't think anybody deliberately taught me to do this, but when I came home from work and, and asked how my day was, almost all the time I said it was fine. Because yeah, part of it was mm-hmm. I didn't want my family members, I didn't want my wife, to, and, and my if my children were adults, I wouldn't or, or teenagers, I wouldn't want to tell them. Hey, you need to be afraid. It's a horrible situation right. out there. I don't I don't want them to be afraid. They're already afraid enough. My mother, right. she says she never got a good night's sleep until I got retired. And mm-hmm. I was like, I, I had no idea, but I also didn't tell her about this stuff. Right. But we're but you know, you say that, but then as a mom, like I'm afraid. So when my teenager is going out and driving down a certain road where I know there's a ton of accidents or something like that, like I'm nervous about that. There's things that I'm nervous about that I wouldn't normally be nervous about if I didn't work in this line of work. And I think that being married to an officer helped quite a bit um, because he understood and I understood and, you know, we could talk to each other about things and stuff like that. But even he and I talking about stuff still wasn't the same thing. It was just kind of telling the story. So... I think that we need to be better about reaching out for help or resources or whatever it is. Well, back in the day when, when I was on the job and you had really bad things happen, the way we handled it, quite often, I remember an incident in particular where my major said, here's 10 bucks, go buy a case of beer and mm-hmm. hang out in a parking lot and drink with the guys and talk about it mm-hmm. and decompress. And that's how we did things. We didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of what's available now with critical incident right. debriefing. And I do know mm-hmm. that they do it. I think it's great that they do this. I think we need to do more, but I'm kind of surprised that we're not doing it for our dispatchers as well. Many agencies don't include them in that. Right. You're right. They don't. And, you know, I can I can speak for my agency where I have a really incredible dispatch manager that pushes for that so we do get included in it. But so many agencies don't do it because they don't think about it or their agency's too big or... They have one room full of call takers and another room full of dispatchers. They, you know, they don't go back and they don't go all the way back and see where it started and, and how it's affecting people. And, and dispatchers are just as bad as the cops. I mean, we don't, we don't really say it either. And I think that until we start saying it, until somebody starts recognizing that, we're going to have a hard time continuing to get acknowledged like that. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Diana Register, uh, career 911 dispatcher. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. 
These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. Are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money? Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677, 24 hours, and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800 956 0677. Get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677. I'm a retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. We're expanding. The Law Enforcement Today radio show has grown so much and so rapidly. We now have two Facebook pages. You can do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's a new page. Be sure to click like when you get there and follow. In addition, we have our main page, which is Law Enforcement Today. So do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today and be sure to click like and follow that one as well. Back to our conversation with Diana Register, career 911 dispatcher. And this, Diana, by the way, wrote two phenomenal articles on lawenforcementtoday.com. One, the most recent, the dreaded 911 call. It's an eye opener. Check it out. It won't take you a long time to read it. It really had a big impact on me and changed my point of view and my perspective, especially when considering what dispatchers go through. And you also wrote about imminent death. And in that article, mm-hmm. Diana, you talked about. Your husband, and uh, right. and you talked in a very personal way about 
first of all, what happened to him, what happened to you as, as a, a couple, and then what happened to you after he passed away. Your, your husband was a law enforcement officer, and he wound up having a horrible cancer, correct? Yes, he, he had pancreatic cancer. Which, by the way, it's in the news, and uh, I, I've had friends with pancreatitis and been in the hospital for days. I had a friend who was at pancreatitis, mm-hmm. was in a coma for a while. We thought he was going to die. And uh, pancreatic mm-hmm. cancer is a particularly deadly form of cancer, or can be, I should say, for a lot of people. How long did your husband suffer with that? Um, so his, from diagnosis until death, it was about 18 months um, that he had it, which was actually a pretty long time. So um, most he was diagnosed stage two. Most people are diagnosed stage four because there's no real good symptoms or anything like that. And so by the time they find it, um, people are usually given about six months to a year to live. And, you know, to be honest with you, it, it, it is a deadly cancer. We're, I mean, I work with some pancreatic cancer foundations. We created a charity in my husband's name to give back to patients. Um, we do a lot of research, funding, stuff like that. But the problem is is that the cancer is still super deadly it's in the number two spot and there's not a lot of hope for it people don't put a lot of attention to it unfortunately and cancer by the way my father passed away from lung cancer many years ago now but i always tell people it doesn't get easier i just somehow get more used Mm -hmm. to it and he died on uh, new year's eve uh, back in 1993 Mm -hmm. And his lung cancer was terminal. We knew it was. And he said he got about a year to live. And uh, watch him go downhill was very slow, very progressive. But towards the end, it was very, very fast. And it's a, it's a horrible, yeah. horrible thing to have to deal with. And uh, mm-hmm. there's people out there who always want to talk about this type of cancer or that type of cancer. I, I hate all cancers. And I, yeah. I hate what it does to our loved ones. And I really hate what it does to us. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you. Um, I'm sure you can relate because it's. Uh, you can't go through this and not be changed. You're well. You're absolutely changed. Um, it, I, so I, I think you know that I, I wrote a book on this experience as well. It's called Grief Life, but I did write a, a book about my experience with my husband's diagnosis, his death, and then what we've been doing afterwards, and it changes you completely and I think that we always look at like what the bad changes um, but in some ways it's given us some gifts like it, it has literally made me reprioritize my life I know what's important I know what's not important I know who I want in my life who I don't want in my life it's really given me a lot of clarity so in that sense that was one of those changes that I can look at and be grateful for even in the midst of all of this and my husband showed incredible courage through his journey, and that was kind of what that article was about, um, that he was diagnosed, had the Whipple surgery, which was a very, very, very difficult invasive surgery. They pretty much after you have the Whipple surgery, they, it's difficult to come back from that. It's difficult to come back from that physically, mentally, the whole bit. Um, and it was eight weeks after he had the Whipple surgery, and he wanted to go back to patrol. And I think everybody kind of looked at him like he was crazy. He had lost 40 pounds. He had this huge scar. He had been through the ringer, and he said he wanted to go back to patrol, and that's what he wanted to do. And his chief at the time was gracious enough to give him the chance, and his surgeon basically told him, if you feel like you can do it, then go do it. Mm -hmm. And so he did. And so I I will never forget the day 
that he put his uniform on for the first time and it didn't fit right because he had lost all this weight. Um, I made him a lunch because I wanted to make sure that he ate right, you know, and he got his bag together and he got everything he needed and he walked out the door like it was any other day because he had decided that his situation was not going to defeat him. And when he made a decision about something, that was it. Like there was no turning back. And from that point forward, he worked and he never missed a day. He went to chemo. He never called in sick for his chemo. He never scheduled his chemo on his work days. He traveled six hours for his chemo, would come home, take a nap, go to work that night. And on top of that, he didn't let his job suffer. So he was always part of the team. He was always taking care of his guys. He didn't live, he didn't let them know how sick he was. But he didn't let the community suffer either because, once again, he had made a decision that he wanted to be a police officer. And when he was going to be a police officer, he was going to do the best that he could. And he took that all the way through until he died, which... He worked his last shift three three weeks before he died. And it's my understanding that it was not his regular last day um, when he came home the night that he did when he wasn't feeling well and never went back to work. But he still took his car in to get gassed. He washed it. He did all the things that he was supposed to do to turn that over to the next guy. And he did that because he was he had such a character about him and he had morals and he had values. But the point of this was that even knowing that he was going to die, he still treated people with respect and dignity and he never let his situation get the best of him. Not ever. And part of what I think I talked about in the article was when he responded to a woman who had had an accident and he knew she was going to die and he held her anyway. And he stayed there with her anyway, knowing that he was probably next. And I can't imagine what that must have felt like. But he did it with dignity. He did it with grace. And he did it because he was a good person. And I think we can all learn a lesson from that. Absolutely. I've met so many people like that, in particular in law enforcement, because that's that's the, the example I come from. That's what I know. And I'm sure there's people like that in the military and there's people like that in fire departments they're so committed to what they do. And that's why they do this. Mm-hmm. It's not because yeah. people on the outside love to think, oh, it's a power trip. Oh, it's right. a donuts. Oh, it's a uniform. What? Yeah. And, it's, and we go, we just have to laugh. They're so convinced that there's a Barney Fife power syndrome that mm-hmm. you can't convince them otherwise. And it's about being a servant to the public. And that's really what right. it's about. But don't confuse that in thinking that will allow you to hurt us because if one of us has to, in a bad, violent situation, I'm going to go home. I'm going to do everything I have to do to go home at the end of the night. Right. I hope it doesn't come to that. But if you make it come to that, I, I'm going to be unbelievably vicious. And, and, I can, and that's I can not part of who I want to be either. Right, and I can tell you, like going back to what we were talking about before, that your dispatcher is going to do everything that she can to make sure you go home. That they night do. They're, they they saved my the life goal. so many times that you mm-hmm. didn't know. We would be, for example, and I'm I'm going to use an example. So many scenarios like it did happen. We had a, a man who was shooting out of a second floor window of a townhouse, a row house, with a shotgun. Uh, he was emotionally deranged and drunk, off his medication, the whole nine yards. It was nighttime. We're, we don't have the option, the luxury of waiting for a SWAT team to get there because that could be forever. He's got a hostage. And the dispatcher's mm-hmm. talking to you because someone's calling them saying, oh, by the way, he's in this window because we really couldn't see where he was. 
and without that voice there, for lack of better words, an Overwatch guiding you, mm-hmm. so many people could have died in those experiences, myself being one of them. Right. And I owe a debt of gratitude. My daughters owe a debt of gratitude to our dispatchers, and our communities do as well. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about more about that in just a few moments. This is the Law Enforcement Today show with our special guest, Diana Register, career 911 dispatcher calling us all the way from Idaho. Don't miss it. We'll be right back. Americans are going crazy for a new Italian diet pill that burns three times more fat than dieting alone. And the next 100 callers get three bottles for free. Sold under the brand name Invigorate 3X, this powerful pill triggers metabolic acceleration, a process that's deficient to most Americans, making weight loss a hassle. But a new study shows 30 pounds gone in 90 days with just two capsules a day. Julie B. of Nashville says, I was skeptical, but when I saw a famous doctor made it, I decided to try it. I was shocked. I lost 16 pounds in six weeks. For a limited time, our listeners get three free bottles with a qualifying order. Call 1-800-932-1786 now to get started. Call in the next 10 minutes and also get a free bottle of the Doctor's Ultra Detox. And don't forget your free 14-day diet fix. No obligation and 100% free when you call right now. 800-932-1786. 800-932-1786. Are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money? Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677, 24 hours, and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800-956-0677 get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603 That's 800-451-8603 Back to the Law Enforcement Today show with our guest Diana Register calling us from Idaho. 
Diana is a career 911 dispatcher. Diana, I got to tell you a funny story. When I was a rookie police officer in, in Baltimore, m- working midnight shift, our dispatches were downtown, the headquarters building. Uh, and we were always taught if we had to go down, we're slow a minute shift, we go down to get reports for court or whatever. They say, call ahead, talk to dispatchers, find out if they need anything because they can't get out. So the dispatcher right. said, hey, could you bring us some coffees from 7-Eleven? I'm like, yeah, sure, why, why not? You know, I've been on a job probably mm-hmm. about nine months at that point. And so I got the coffees, got their orders, showed up at the door. They had to buzz me in. I walk in, and the dispatcher looks at me and goes, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm 635. You know, I got your coffee. And the dispatcher looked at me, and she went <laughs> slack-jawed. And I'm like, what's the matter? She goes, well, you sound just like Barry White. And it turns out you're very white. And from that point on, I, that group of dispatchers, when we worked together, they called me. One in particular named Sonny. He go, hey, very, how are you? And I like, I knew it was going to be a bad call then. It's going to be DOA. It's going to be something. But they always called me very white from that day on. And I never met most of these people. But their voice was calming and reassuring and mm-hmm. comforting and giving you information, of course. It's almost like having a, a relationship with an intimate relationship, like a, a boyfriend, girlfriend. You get mad at each other now and then, but you relied right. on each other. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about how like we're all like kind of brother and sisters. And so we we do have this relationship. And, and some of them, you, like, it, like at my agency, they can come in and they can talk to us for small enough for them to be able to do that. Um, but we're also big enough to where they don't all do that. So we can develop a relationship with them in a couple of different ways. And we really encourage them to come up and talk to us or hang out with us or whatever, because I think that the more dispatchers and officers know each other on a personal level, the better your working relationship becomes. And there's not so much snarkiness. And if you are, you know, cranky or whatever, they don't take it so personally. But I do, I remember an incident at the very first agency that I worked for back in the nineties. And the officer was, I think he had pulled somebody over and was up at the car or whatever. And while he was up there talking to him, the driver took off and ran over his foot. And he screamed it out about the car taking off and he had just run over his foot. And at the time, we were parodying pretty much everything that they were saying. So I I said it, but I said it in this very calm kind of monotone voice. And then they end up getting a pursuit. They catch the guy. And he came in later and he told me, he said, I, I was so hyped up in that moment after he had just run over my foot that had you been just as spun up as I was, it, it was going to go bad. Like I was going to get in a pursuit and I wasn't going to be able to drive. But your voice was so calm that it just brought me right back down. And I didn't realize that we could have that kind of impact on people. I didn't realize that we could talk to the officers in a certain tone of voice or in a certain way that kind of helped them with whatever they were doing. Like I never considered that. And then you go and you listen to the LAPD um, tapes when they have the armed robbery and officers are getting shot. The North Hollywood shootout, that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the dispatcher finally gives up on using any kind of codes, and she just starts telling them, I've I've got an ambulance on the way. I've got help on the way to you. I've got somebody coming. Hang in there. You're going to be okay. And I've thought about that so many times over the years because I thought, you know, God forbid we're ever in a situation like that. I want to be her. You know, I want to be able to reassure my officers like that that they're going to be okay. That's vitally important. From uh, yeah, being the law enforcement point of view, having that calm voice in the background talking to you is, is vitally important. Mm-hmm. Feeding you information is very, very important. 
I don't. Like, I can't I imagine can, being on the other end of that. Well, as the dispatcher, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's part of that's part of it. That's part of what we're trained for, and that's part of what we do. Um, we're we're supposed to be able to help people through the worst moments in their life, and that's not always the caller. Sometimes it's the officer, or the firefighter, or whoever. And so we're supposed to be able to be so well trained and so good at our job that we're able to talk to pe- people through some of the scariest moments in their life. And I told you before, and I wanted to touch on it really briefly, but probably the worst call ever for me was when I had to call, um, when my husband was sick. And being a police officer, he didn't want help. He didn't want me to call an ambulance. He didn't want me to call anybody. But I had to. He was in so much pain in this particular moment that I had to call. And I remember him telling me, just give me 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. And we did 10 more minutes probably for an hour and a half. And I finally decided that I had to call. And he looked me straight in the face, and he was sick, and he was hurting, and and all of these things. But he looked me in the face and said, I will never forgive you if you call. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. How? What? My heart and my brain are now saying two different things. I have to call because you're in so much pain, but I don't want you to die not forgiving me. So when I made that phone call to the sheriff's department where I lived, I didn't know who was going to answer the phone. I didn't know any of the dispatchers. His name was Jeff. He answered the phone. And I knew in that moment that if he treated me badly on the phone, if he had any kind of inflection in his voice that was mean, if he was short or rude to me, that this was I, I was not going to be able to survive the night trying to take care of my husband, who was surely going to die within the next few days. I was probably going to end up at the hospital yelling and screaming at doctors, probably get kicked out of the hospital because I would have been so upset. And he treated me with such dignity and such respect, and I could hear the compassion in his voice, even though he's reading a script for medical stuff, and he's going through what he's supposed to be doing, and he can't save Chad's life, and he can't do CPR, and he can't do any of that stuff. He treated me and sounded like he cared. And that he knew, he had it dialed in, that our voice is the best tool that we have. It's the best tool we have for callers. It's the best tool that we have for officers, pretty much for anything. And later, I met him, and I thanked him. And he told me that, you know, he knew that it affected me by just kind of the way that we were talking. And I ended up writing a class that I teach through the state of Idaho on compassion because of him, because of that one moment. So I just hope that everybody and all the dispatchers that are listening to this, I hope that they know how powerful they are, even if everybody else thinks they aren't. One of the things that I tell people quite often on the Law Enforcement Show is that here in America, we, we are very privileged. If we have an emergency, a house fire, someone's sick, uh, uh, someone's committing a crime, you can pick up the phone, you can call 911. And unless maybe in Alaska, where it helps a long ways away, you can have mm-hmm. emergency responders at your house within minutes. Right. So imagine having a family emergency, a child that fell and, and is in bad condition or, or stopped breathing, and you call 911 and there's no one to answer the phone. And that's right. the reality of how things are getting in a lot of agencies. Are you, is your agency that shorthanded like many others? Oh, yeah. And I mean, I don't know any dispatch center that's not shorthanded. It's, it's a hard job. It's a hard job. There's a lot of training, there's a lot of turnover. Sometimes people don't make it. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. They can't do the schedule. Sometimes the job itself is just too much. Um, we are constantly 
shorthanded, just like everybody else. And I think that poses its own problem because then you have your pool of people who are still there who are now covering lots and lots of overtime and, you know, hopefully not getting burned out and all that kind of stuff. But we're working all the time, I feel like. My cousin actually trained to be a dispatcher in North Carolina, and I, I want to say her training was three or four months. She didn't make it a month on the job. Yeah. She says part of it was because of the people she worked with, it was so bad. But deep down, knowing her, it was because she felt like she couldn't do the job. She's a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. If she didn't feel like she could do it perfectly, she wasn't going to do it. Well, and the that, demands is just so hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I can see that because you can't do it perfectly. You just do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we're so at my agency, we train at least nine months um, on the job, and um, I think what I see from the very best dispatchers that come in there and start training is they're hard on themselves. Yeah, they're hard on themselves from the very beginning, and they're hard on themselves twenty years in. Um, they second guess, they question, they do all that stuff, but that's how we learn. You know, we, that's exactly how we learn. We learn by going through some stuff that, you know, we, maybe we can't cover in the training. I mean, stuff happens that we haven't trained for, but we pull together our experience and we get through it and we do the best that we can. And then we learn from it and then we do better the next time. I want to encourage people to come to law enforcement today. In particular, check out Diana's two existing articles. One would be When Death is Imminent, and the other one is The not the Dreaded 911 Call. And I'm sure Diana will be writing more. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think we got to have you back on the show again in the future. There's yeah. so many things we didn't have a chance to talk about that we do need to discuss. But I want to thank you so very much for spending part of your day with us here. It's very much appreciated. Yeah, thanks so much for having me me on and for recognizing dispatchers when you have a chance be sure to go to our website lawenforcementtoday.com and download our free mobile app we have a version for your android and iphone devices it's 100 free get it at lawenforcementtoday.com thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at law enforcement today on behalf of everyone associated with the show and the website this is john j wiley until next time see ya Thank mm-hmm. you.